This is the true story, guys. While I'm on my vacation last week in New York, I get a text from a buddy and asks if I want to go to the house show at Madison Square Garden last Friday night. Now, I had stuff planned with family. I think the assumption is, right, that you go to a house show, nothing big's ever going to happen at a house show. You'll mark out maybe for a couple entrances, this and that, but nothing of any consequence is going to happen. And then I get a couple texts, and my Twitter starts blowing up. AJ Styles wins the United States Championship out at the house show that I denied tickets for because I didn't expect anything would happen. It figures, right? Like the one house show, WWE house show that I don't go to, we actually have a title change. I mean, what kind of BS is that? You know what Vince would say to that? Yeah! See, I don't know if Vince would fire me because he still wants me to keep paying, but I do appreciate that sound drop. Now, Silver King, it's got me thinking, buddy, because I know you've been a WWE fan your entire life. Your best ever house show experience. Oh, man, I can't even remember what the show was. I remember the main event. It was in Fort Lauderdale, maybe at the War Memorial. I don't remember the exact arena, but it was Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin against Rhino, and I I think there's possible Austin was a heel or maybe it was Rhino. I don't remember. Oh, Austin, that, that, that was during Invasion, yeah. right, BC? Austin could have been a heel and at I that think, point. And I think I was you know, still a young, young teenager, and I trash-talked Austin, and I think he had a chair, and I have a picture of Steve Austin threatening me with a chair, and my face like, oh, my God, he's about to hit me. All right, this, this is what's cool. going to happen. You're going to tweet that picture out, and we will retweet okay. it later this week. Brian, how about you, your best house show experience? Please tell me, Silver King, you had jorts and a knee brace on, because that's what I'm imagining right now during pr- the prime Austin era. Never but, wore yeah. jorts. Never. No, no, yeah, I've been, I've been to some prime Austin '98. Uh, you go to, you go to a Monday Night Raw back then for a taping in Hartford. You think because it's Monday night you're going to Monday Night Raw. No, you're going to a house show and you don't realize it till you walk up to the door. That's my biggest memory of that. All right, let's hit Brian Campbell's music and get on with the show. Welcome into the In This Corner podcast with Brian Campbell. This is the professional wrestling edition. I am handsome Nick Costos, and I am coming off a really great vacation. And guys, this is my dedication to the cause. Even though I was on vacation for seven days, I worked out for five of those seven days. I'm in the gym. I'm hanging and banging. I'm getting tan. I come back, and I absolutely have not missed a beat. Now, I urge you to check out the pictures from my vacation. They are on Instagram, (laughs) at the Costos, T-H-E-K-O-S, T-O-S. I am a petty, petty, insecure little man, and I need your likes and follows to get me through the day. T-H-E-K-O-S-T-O-S. <laughs> and as always, I am joined by my tag team partners. First up, he is the man. He is the myth. He is the legend. He's a pain in the ass, but damn it, he's our pain in the ass. He is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey now. And as always, I am joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He's the icon. Get some. He's the main event. Let's go. He's the showstopper. One time. He is the whole effing show. My man. He is the bod that guides the pod. Bring it. He is the mast that runs the cast. Stay hyped. Damn it. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell our great listeners what's coming up on the podcast. 
Do yourselves a favor, listeners, and get some of this. The audio vision continues, invasion, if you will, because we're pulling no punches about our intentions. We're coming for your free time, aiming to penetrate that field spot mm. and become the number one show in your rotation. How do we get there? With another injection of that street-grade dose of performance-enhancing audio. It's that untraceable kind, and like a young Vince Jr., we promote a big man's territory here on the ITC. We are here to get you juiced. This is where the big boys play, huh? <laughs> yeah, notice that adjective, right? Play. This week, we'll be breaking down the week that was in WWE, including a red-hot Raw. We'll be answering your DMs, so slide or swan dive right in. And we'll also it. be getting you hyped for this summer's G1 tournament and the return of our This Week in NJPW segment. Yes, it's a big show planned for you today. Well, it's, it's a big show. show. It's not the big show. It is a big show. It is going to be a huge one. Now, a couple notes from that phenomenal intro from Brian Campbell. First, that phenomenal they were... intro was over. That was the int- that was the interesting part, right? No, there. we got. I got some good notes here just from what you just said. Number one, we had penetrate, spot, and injection all said there. So we know where your head is at right now, Brian Campbell, and it appears to be in the gutter. And as always, a great intro from you, the Victor Conti, the cousin Yuri, the King Balco, the first of our performance enhancing audio. And just to flex my intellect muscles here and my knowledge of wrestling history that soundbite kevin nash 1996 monday nitro correct oh no doubt about it come on yeah, man. So this that's is where fun. the big boys play at some point we're going to do an, an audio trivia challenge here between the three of us that's going to be absolutely awesome but guys as always we begin well no hold on nick all right don't go too far right here what are you right? talking about buddy I want to, you know, not only do I want to tell the listeners to listen to our WWE Great Balls of Fire instant analysis show from Monday, Ooh, if you have. Okay. Not only do I want the people to check out our big boxing return this week as we sit down with Manny Pacquiao conqueror Jeff Horn, we talk about his controversial victory and we recap the first leg of this Mayweather McGregor monster press tour. Forget that, though. Without further ado, before I hand you back the keys, Nick, I want to know something here. Yes. I want to know something. In your fondling hands, the most passionate man in North North America I here. To I want to talk about the vacation a little bit because oh. we, I didn't prepare you for this, but we've obtained actual audio from last <laughs> week when the Greek himself stepped off the plane in Newark. Hopefully you're not embarrassed by this, but go ahead. Hello, ladies. That's right. I mean, are we swiping right? I mean, let's be real honest with the listeners. I'm going to tell a story very briefly. You know, I'm not going to tell a story. I'm just going to say it involved a pair of bloody shorts, and it's 100% true, (laughs) and we will leave it at that. So you good now, buddy? Are we good to move on to the main event here? Are are, are you happy here? Normally, we save the the other podcast promotion for the end of the show, but Brian Campbell throwing me tons of curveballs here at the start of the show. That's not really cool, but you know what is cool? It's the damn main event, and Brian Campbell... What a red-hot segment on Monday Night Raw. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, Samoa Joe, Paul Heyman absolutely tearing the house down as we officially begin the road to SummerSlam. Red hot is the right term here. This felt like the Attitude Era because they got out of the way. They let a real dialogue segment take place, and they took right now their most red hot items. They're playing the big four. Now, of this big four, Braun Strowman wasn't on the episode this week, and it stuck out like a store thumb, and we'll get to that in a second. But what they gave us was a segment that had real trash talk. We talk a lot about what Samoa Joe does differently right now. 
what his, his what he does differently in giving you that real life trash talk seemed to spread to the other guys in the ring. I'm talking about Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, Brock Lesnar. This is what I want from Raw. This felt like back in the day on WCW when they're competing with Raw, where you just put your best guys out there, you roll out the mats, you give them a mic, and you just let things happen. Now we're in a new scripted era. You won't get that for the most part, but this felt as close as you can to that. Joe dominated the scene, dominated the ring. There's a reason why he can lose a match at Great Balls of Fire. And two days later on our CBS Sports WWE Power Rankings, we are bumping him up to number one because he's the number one thing going in this company. And I don't like three and four man matches. I said that on the Sunday night show a lot. It's not my favorite thing. But they're showing us as we move towards SummerSlam that we may end up seeing one of those combinations there. And I'm okay with it because you're taking the two best feuds you've had on Raw in recent months. And now you're joining them together. We know Joe and Roman are going to face next week for the chance to face Brock at SummerSlam. Obviously, we don't know where Braun Strowman fits in there. But I have full mast fired up milk of Marknesia watching that segment and trying to predict the future. I was like Kurt Angle at the Hall of Fame speech, just just pouring that stuff all over me. Did you feel what I was feeling? Bro, you you said you've got Jeff Horn coming up on that boxing podcast this week, right? Yeah, hashtag horned up, right? You know, very apropos because this pod, this segment made me horny on Monday Night Raw. It, it was unbelievable. Now, I'm sitting there and I'm going to take you through the timeline of a mark. I marked out, I have it written down here, one, two, three, four, five separate times during the segment. The first time was when Roman Reigns' music hit because you know you're about to get the impending Reigns, Heyman, Brock Lesnar showdown. And I tweeted this, and it bears repeating. The Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar match that main event at WrestleMania 31 was a classic before the Seth Rollins uh, cash-in. Go back and watch that match. It was absolutely fantastic, better than it had any right to be. So I got juiced up right off the start knowing the history of these two competitors and with the knowledge that we're going to get Reigns and Lesnar at some point soon, whether it's SummerSlam or next year's WrestleMania, some point in between or after we know it's going to happen. That got me juiced up. I marked out when Samoa Joe's music hit and he was about to get involved to this segment. And three separate lines and exchanges. Number one, Paul Heyman telling Samoa Joe, you're never getting a title shot again. Very petty of Paul Heyman, but pays off the storyline since Samoa Joe attacked him in the lead-up to Great Balls of Fire. I loved Brock Lesnar getting the mic and taking all of three seconds to have drop an S-bomb and have the censors have to beep something out. And Kurt... Nothing better than Brock Lesnar with a live mic, and that showed you why. It was fantastic. It really was, and it did evoke sort of memories of the Attitude Era, and Kurt Angle's face was also absolutely hysterical. And also, by the way, very cool, of course, to have Angle and Brock Lesnar in the same ring as well. And then the best line of the whole thing was the the Joe-Brock exchange, BC. And I know that you loved this part also. Joe says to Brock, you look at me when I'm talking to you, boy. And I literally squealed (laughs) like a schoolgirl. Like, I absolutely (laughs) marked out for that. Samoa Joe was so good, and he said to Brock, he goes, you know in your heart of hearts that you escaped last night. And he said the same exact thing to Heyman. And you said this on a video we did earlier today that's going to be up on CBSSports.com, Bri. This was like real trash talk that you would hear real fighters give to each other here. So they're bringing that MMA-ish element into this that I just think is is super cool. I thought this was, Brian, an absolute home run segment, one of the best of the year on Raw, SmackDown, NJPW, any wrestling show. And I don't go back and watch Raw again. I don't rewatch anything. There's, I mean, there's only so much time like we talk about, right? If you're trying to fit in 205 Live and all the other stuff, the shoulder content on the network, I have no time. I watched the segment three times, and I was picking up on every subtle turn and face that they made. I mean, even when 
Paul Heyman went out of his way to to jump for joy at the idea of Roman facing Brock at SummerSlam. And a lot of people go, whoa, whoa, why is he so willing? Did you see Brock's face when Paul did it? It was almost like he stepped out of line and Brock had to pull him back in line. And Brock like, grabbed the mic. Yeah. And they'll be like, no, 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 he doesn't deserve it. That was fantastic. I saw some people sort of saying that, look, Roman, you know, the great segment, but Roman wasn't up to up to par with them. He didn't trash talk on the same level. I don't agree with that. I went back and watched that specifically. I thought Roman was direct and powerful, and I thought that he showed you a smug heel persona. He brought one-liners in, in Joe's face. It just happened that Joe had better material. So, okay, maybe they underwrote Roman, or maybe Roman's not as good as these guys is delivering. That's fine, but in the grand scheme, all we do is complain that we get too much Roman, and he's kicking out of everybody's finishing moves. So in a verbal war, which was similar to what we saw with McGregor and Mayweather this week on their press tour, to see him actually not dominate or, or, or maybe pull even or at worst lose I was okay with that I thought he saved face and I thought he showed you maybe you don't believe that a double turn happened maybe you don't believe that and he's I a don't heel, and you know that I don't he, believe that he acted like a heel in that talking segment because he was smug he was confident he wasn't putting anything over that 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 screams I'm a baby face anymore he was sort of this like like jerk he was a dick right I, like I was down for it I mean but but you can argue that he's been a dick since the night after Wrestlemania when he came out and took all those boos and said this is my yard now drop the mic and walked out I mean this has been his his routine now since he beat the Undertaker on the main event of Wrestlemania this year so I don't think this is anything new from Roman Reigns and I'll stick to my story here I do not think that this was a double turn I still think that Roman Reigns is a quote-unquote face maybe more of an anti-hero but he's a face in the eyes at least of, of Vince McMahon at this point and I think that they're going to keep Braun Strowman as a heel but he's obviously still going to get some face cheers from the adult male oh, crowd. Next, uh, I love the Samsung Simpson and I stick by my story reference right there from you. That's I mean, my I really story, and I'm sticking I, to it. I mean, I know where you live in Florida. And that is? The beach. Boy, I mean, I, I may need to go watch Half-Baked tonight. That is an absolutely sensational movie and maybe get involved in some of the things that they talk about in Half-Baked. Story for another time. Now, set up for next week on Raw as we sort of peel the onion back on this. A lot of layers to get into from this story. Now we've got Joe versus Reigns next week on Raw with the winner supposed to get a shot at Brock Lesnar's Universal Championship at SummerSlam BC. How do you think this is going to turn out? You like this here, this booking a week in advance, Joe and Reigns. I do, because, look, here's my thing on this. Uh, I like this because this makes next week red hot coming off of this week. So I like that there's a lot on the line. What do I want on Raw and SmackDown matches? Something to fight for. So I like this. I don't know exactly where they're going, and that's what I also like. Because when I my dream scenario is a, is a triple threat at SummerSlam. But if you're going to do that, you're going to leave one of the four out who deserve to be there. That's why I think it's more likely that it becomes a four. Yeah. But how get there to it becoming a four will be interesting because it was a fail. It was a hashtag fail this week that Braun Strowman did not appear on Raw. And really? You, you, you think so? Because he, he had to sell the injury, though, like that catastrophic injury that he suffered that they spent time putting over. They had a dark match on a pay-per-view to put over that injury. I had no problem with Braun not being on Raw. I did because Angle just sort of had this 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 act like, well, we don't know where he is. You know, we don't know if he's okay. I mean, come on, you know, that wasn't realistic. It was just as non-realistic. And this is the other sore thumb that stuck out on Raw. And I loved Raw, and it was red hot. But you're not going to punish Roman Reigns like for real. You're not going to punish like there's a, like Vince McMahon got arrested for putting his hand on an officer during that Raw segment in 2015. They made T-shirts out of it. It's you professional fight. wrestling, Bry. Come I on. Get that, but bro, this was vehicular homicide attempts. So <laughs> like, my point is. Not even addressing that, not putting the pressure on him from Angle's point of view, 
that was not good to me. And by the way, just I'm going to rewind one second. I think it's still a double heel turn. I think there are double turn. I think you just got to give him a chance to play it out because when Brock Braun Strowman does return and he will return and it's going to be awesome the next few weeks and he's going to work himself into the main event of SummerSlam. But when he does, he's going to return to a hero's welcome, which means he yep. will be a baby face in it. So what does that mean to you? He well, won't, that, if it's He's not going to be a baby face because you could argue the same exact thing when he busted out of the ambulance and did all I'm not finished with you and beat up Roman Reigns. He's still, they're not turning, like the Roman Reigns heel turn is going to be, if it ever happens, is going to be momentous. And it's not going to be subtle. It's going to be sledgehammer. And this is too subtle right now, and that's why I think it's not happening. King, hit me up with this. You're on my side in believing that Sunday night it felt like a double, a double turn. All I'm saying is right now, they didn't do something on Monday that said it's not a double turn. All they did is said it could be to me. What did you feel on that? So Nick actually had me kind of changing on this. You know, the night of, I thought it was a double turn. I was very clear about that. I said there's no way it's not. And Nick today in this, you know, since we started this edition of the podcast, had really convinced me it's not as have some people on Twitter. That's how good I am. I, I definitely believed it. But where you lost me was where you said that something momentous would have to happen. Roman Reigns just put Braun Strowman in the back of an ambulance and ran it into a semi. <laughs> That's momentous. So, but no, no, no. But, but it I, wasn't unprovoked, though. Like, no, he had a reason. He'll do things unprovoked. Like, he had a yeah. reason to do he it. He had a reason. But, and, and this is what I agree with. I thought it was a double turn, no doubt. What I saw Monday with Reigns coming to the ring, continuing to act smug, which is a persona I really do like. I think it's a good direction for him because it actually gives him something that he didn't have before. Did it do it for you? Because it didn't do it for Bry. It did being do it smug? for Bry. It did do it for him. Did it do it for you? Just being smug in yes. general? Rain, Reigns in that segment, did that do it for you? His smugness did it for me, but because it was smug and it was low kind of tempered, I agree he got overshadowed by Joe and Lesnar. I think that you nailed it. I, I mean, I, that's exactly the point that, that I was going to make. And it's funny because, you know, Bri, you and I are texting as I'm watching the segment on Monday night. I'm watching it a little bit on delay because I was watching my, my Yankees and the Home Run Derby. Shout out to my man, Aaron Judge. And I thought Rain sort of got lost in the shuffle there, right? Because Joe was so intense and Brock's obviously intense. And you've got Angle and you've got Heyman. And Heyman's got veins bulging out of his neck screaming uh, at Samoa Joe. And Reigns gets the mic and he, I don't even remember. It was such a throw away line that he delivered and it was so nonchalant and I thought you know that's not good from Roman Reigns but I guess it does sort of Bry fall in line with what we've seen from his character since the night after Wrestlemania so I thought it was okay and I don't have an issue with it but he did get lost and I think that we can agree on that and he was overshadowed Bry by Samoa Joe by Brock Lesnar and by Paul Heyman for a reason, though, because we talk about how good he's selling physically in this Braun Strowman feud, taking giant bumps off the side of an ambulance. And I think we said on this podcast a few weeks ago, like, wow, a top level star who gets a lot of criticism. Look, he's selling. Well, you know what he did in that ring by not winning that verbal war? He sold and allowed Samoa Joe coming off a loss in a pay-per-view to be number one in our power rankings because he dominated the segment. If you're going to get Joe into a multi-person match, it has to be believable that he deserves to be there if we're going to do four or three people at SummerSlam. I thought Reigns did the best thing he could do. He sold. He wasn't kicking out of finishers. He was putting people over while, if you go back and watch it, he still had a couple lines, right? He didn't back down. 
He just didn't win the rap battle. Bottom yeah, line. Not only did he not win it, I felt that he lost it. It lost it in convincing fashion. So here's the deal, right? I marked out several times watching the segment on Monday night. Brian Campbell marked out several times watching the segment on Monday night. Now you guys don't know this, but I conducted a very scientific hashtag in this corner <laughs> poll, and I talked to 100 people that watched the segment on Monday night, and 99 of the 100 people said this segment was absolutely. Awesome. The one person who didn't like it, the wet blanket on all the fun that everybody was having, it was the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Because, Adam, I saw you on Twitter. You didn't love the segment the way that everybody else did. Now, we're going to crush you for what you're about to say here, but we want to give you an opportunity to do it. Bri, if you've got some sound effects to really bury the Silver King here for this crap take that he's about to give us, do it. But, Adam, we will give you the forum to defend your terrible take. Okay. There's a difference between not liking the segment and not liking where the segment was placed. Those are two very different things. I enjoyed uh, Joe. I enjoyed Lesnar. I sneakily enjoyed Kurt Angle and Paul Heyman, who I don't think get nearly enough respect for their roles in that. And I want to point this out very quickly. Well, Heyman does. Maybe not Angle. Angle was magic in that in that whole segment. His distant stare has kind of been an IWC thing, like what's he always looking at in, far in the distance. But... He, was, he has his eyes bugged out looking at Joe and, and trying to step between them, almost kind of playing like a little bit of a Dana White role. So I loved what Angle did, Heyman obviously, and Heyman's reaction, putting his hands over his mouth to, you know, saying, oh, oh crap. All right, enough positives. Okay. He didn't like it. Tell okay, us here's, why. here's a negative. How the hell do you start Monday Night Raw after your hottest pay-per-view since WrestleMania with big cast walking to the ring instead of this very segment? This segment and the featured players from the biggest ending to a pay-per-view you've had maybe in years when you combine the two heavyweight matches should be front and center on Monday Night Raw. You know what they used to do during the Attitude Era? They opened up with The Crash and Stone Cold Steve Austin. They opened with, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? They don't open with, oh, here's crappy theme music from Big Cass from the first match on you know, the regular card. That was my problem with it. It was a very good segment. Not amazing, but it was very good. Not amazing. But it should okay. not have been 90 minutes into the show. Do we have a sound effect, Bri, we could play for the Silver King here? No, I, I'll, I'll Come on. That point. It's a bad take. It's not the worst take. It's not good. How is my it? point, it shouldn't have started the show. Yes, absolutely. I disagree with that. They tried hard to get Cass over by putting him out first but I feel that they more than repaired it by giving you that segment and giving you two other angles that we're going to talk about in the show that to me overall for not a perfect raw, I thought it was a red hot raw that got me fired up, especially that closing with Kurt Angle that we'll get to again. But you tweeted out that, you know, 80% of the show stunk. That was where I took it. Oh, it did. Well, look, I, 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 and look, you may be right about that. I don't know if it was 80%. There were portions of Monday Night Raw that dragged. But here's what I always say. If you can make me as a viewer mark out two, three times over the course of a show, that's a good show. And I marked out many times over the course of this Brock Roman Samoa Joe segment. And damn it. I marked out big time for the second half of our double main event as well that closed out Monday Night Raw that got me all excited. Hashtag horny at the end of this. Milk <laughs> of Marknesia absolutely everywhere. The Kurt Angle, Brian Campbell cryptic phone call and text messages. It's going to be resolved next week and ended with Kurt Angle telling someone on the other end of that phone that he loves them. I can't wait to see BC how this turns out.
Look, this is so good because they, they it's attention to detail. It's commitment to a long-term build, right? There was a point two, three weeks ago on the show where I'm like, all right, I'm kind of bored. We're, reveal it already. No, they, they, they stayed the course. They have it done so well right now. And then by bringing it back at the end of the show after a main event that had nothing to do with it, left with you with such a powerful edge of your seat that straight up I was marking out like Nick is saying like marking out in full like marking out and whipping it out apparently (laughs) I want to know what is happening and that's when they've done it right there hasn't been a cliffhanger type thing there's been some big raw moments where guys get beat down where there's a late reveal they still can do the big moment well on raw they don't do the cliffhanger moment well on Raw. And you heard my Peter Brady voice just jump there in excitement <laughs> because this fired me up because they set the stage so well. If you go back and actually listen to the dialogue that Engel gives in the segments earlier in the night, they set the stage that there's at least three to four potential angles, not pardon the pun, of where they are going right now with this. And that's where you want to be. There's some worst case. There's some great case. There's some in between. But the fact that we literally don't know There's not one clue in there that gives you, without a doubt, I know where this is going. And that never happens on Raw. That's got me fired up. The reveal will be next week when Raw is in Nashville. So the question, Nick, is where are they going? Now, I'm not going to lay out all the possibilities and and steal from everybody here. I'll just say if I had – what's my best choice? You tweeted this out, Nick, so we both had this feeling. My best choice for fans and for Raw and for that dirtbag inside of me – What do I want the reveal to be? I want Steph McMahon to be on the other end of that phone. I want them to be hanging and banging while being the raw general and commissioner. And I want it to end because we've heard the rumors of a match, right? I want it to end with Triple H defending the honor of his family against Kurt Angle, the dirt hole at SummerSlam. That's what I want. Nick, is it going to be that? What direction are you going? I, I, I sincerely hope. That's what it is. Now, I think that if it is that, how they'll book it won't be like Stephanie's having an affair with Angle. I think it will be like Angle's obsessed with Stephanie McMahon, like he used to be. Like, that was the story back, like, 15 years ago. By the way, that story kicked all sorts of ass when they did it 15 years ago. So I would love a redo here. And I think that we will get Angle and Triple H at SummerSlam. So Stephanie, I think, comes out on Raw next Monday night, says, Kurt, I don't love you back, and then Triple H comes out to to defend the honor of his family and all that deal, and then you do Triple H and Angle at SummerSlam. So I think that both of us agree here that we would like Stephanie to be the person on the end end of that phone call. But there's been another female, another big-name female in the history of professional wrestling whose name keeps popping up in conjunction with this phone call and this angle, and it coincides with her involvement in the Kurt Angle documentary that aired after Monday Night Raw on the WWE Network, and that is Dixie Carter. And, Bri, if you'll allow me here, and I know you know my take already because I've already told you here, I do not get juiced for a potential Dixie Carter involvement <laughs> in this storyline. I get her involvement in, quote-unquote, in the history of professional wrestling, a.k.a. running TNA into the ground here. But I don't know that the casual fan has any reason whatsoever to get jazzed up about Dixie Carter. This is not Eric Bischoff showing up on Monday Night Raw. This is not Paul Heyman showing up on Monday Night Raw from ECW. This is Dixie Carter from TNA. I mean, give me a break here. I would be disappointed, Bri, if that was the ultimate reveal. I said the best case scenario was a juicy angle involving Steph, you know, sleeping with Kurt Angle or 
trading text messages that Triple H stumbled upon. That's juice. That's best case scenario. I think it's worst case with Dixie Carter. You mentioned, I mean, what's her historical footnote? It's very small in reality. Outside of Bully Ray powerbombing her through the table a few years ago, which was a big moment that they hyped for a long time during a time when, honestly, nobody was watching TNA at that point anyway. that there's no Thanks, Hulk Hogan. But I mentioned that nobody, there wasn't a moment that definitively gave this thing away. In Kurt Angle's speech, there wasn't. But when I realized that Raw would be in Nashville next week, then it felt a little too convenient. Then it started to go, wow, this really is worst case. Because let me present another scenario of what this could be. It's not my favorite choice to go, but it's a bold choice that might make sense. If you go back and hear Kurt Angle's words to Corey Graves about, you know, this could tarnish my my legacy. I'm a former Olympian. What would the fans think? What would the company think? If they are playing a, a, a gay homosexual angle here. You're stealing my thunder here, dude. Like, you're really going to steal my take like that? Thunder is from down under. I felt it. I put it in my recap. I just felt like it's brilliant. And this day and age, you can pull it off a lot better than you could a, a Chuck and Billy thing. And it, if you want to do it right, and Angle is the type of guy who has never been never been afraid of going for it in terms of playing a character, doing comedy, doing whatever. If they want to play this serious, it would get very interesting. I, I think it might be the right time to do it. I don't think they have the guts to pull it off, though. Okay, so I texted Brian. I actually went back and found the text on my phone. 11.13 p.m. on Monday night. My text to Brian Campbell, three words long. Is Angle gay? Question mark. Because that's where I felt like truly that I felt like it was going. Like, like that's how they were setting it up, kind of. I felt like my legacy is going to be tarnished. He goes, no, don't worry about it. You come here next week. We're going to come out together. And I love you. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think that's where it's going. But I, I'm being dead honest here. It was actually the first thing that I thought, maybe Kurt Angle's gay. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. And as Brian astutely said, if anyone could pull that off, it would be Kurt Angle. Now, our guy, the Silver King, Bry, he is a contrarian by nature, and wrestling is very subjective, so Silver King, obviously, welcome to his opinion. Sometimes they're valid, sometimes they're incorrect, as he just told you why he didn't love the Brock Lesnar segments on Raw that. here. So, Silver King, when you watched the end of Raw on Monday night, did it activate the feel spot for you? Did you mark out at all, or did you find yourself saying, you know what, I didn't really like this that much? No, no, I loved it, and there's two reasons why. It was an eight-week slow burn. They gave us tastes of it here and there. Like chlamydia. They didn't force it down our throat every week like the Enzo Cast drama. You know, there were a couple weeks where they kind of ignored it or just briefly mentioned it. And then they made it. They brought it back in a very big way the one week before they're going to make the reveal. That's why I loved it. I don't – I have issues with, like, some of the theories. The Dixie Carter thing, I don't think the first time that WWE is going to give TNA a real mention on air is Dixie Carter. Like, who cares about Dixie Carter? No one does. And as you said, who really knows who she is unless you're a – if you're a WWE fan and you didn't watch 24 on Kurt Angle, you don't even know who she is. So forget that. The gay angle, I kind of thought about that too. But you know what? Oh, we see where the Silver King's head is at. But, I like but you it. know what? He has five kids. He just got remarried. It, you know, if you watch 24, then you saw how much he loves his wife. That's kind of strange. I think Stephanie is the obvious answer, and it's where most people's heads are going because they want to find a reason for Angle Triple H at SummerSlam. I'm just a little concerned that these two kind of who done it, 
in the dark angles are going to, the answers to them are going to be exactly what we expected. Well, I ended up liking the Enzo Cass angle, even though we expected it to be Cass, and we'll more on Big Cass coming up here um, in moments and his theme music as we slide into DMs a little later in the program. And I would have no problem, Brian Campbell, if indeed it was Stephanie McMahon. So I think, Brian, based on what you're saying here, it sounds like you enjoyed this edition of Monday Night Raw more than most in the calendar year of our Lord, 2017. I thought, it, you know, for big moments, it was one of the best. I was, I've, I've not been this fired up again. It's different when oh, I love it, man. Back and and put somebody through a table, and you're like, wow, that was great. There was a blood packet. It was great. No, this was, this was like, it's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> I was popping, dude. I was there. I was ready. I, I mean, it, it was, there was enlargement. Okay, I'm sorry. It was. I got, I, I got to be honest. You can't, you can't hide something like that, right? You know. No, you absolutely cannot. And that does it for the double main event, main event portion of the In This Campbell podcast with the Brian Campbell. And with that, I turn the reins over to the very able, the contrarian himself. The the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, who will moderate our debate, best of seven, hero or zero, Silver King, number one. All right, we're going to start this one off with Nick this week. On Raw, against their better judgment, Rollins and Ambrose seem to team up and have each other's backs a little bit. Whether these guys end up working together as some sort of tag team or it's in a rivalry head-to-head, are you buying this Shield-ish type of reunion Hero or zero? Bri, you're going to be surprised by my answer, I think. I think it's a zero, and I'm going to keep it short, and I'm going to keep it sweet. I have no interest right now. Zero. Bubkiss. Zilch. Nada. No interest in Dean Ambrose, the character. I don't want to see him on my television screen. Like He's got to be repackaged or something has to be done with him because he is as stale as a piece of two-week-old bread right now. So I'm not into this solely because of Dean Ambrose. Don't care. You want to put Roman Reigns involved and do a Reigns-Rollins thing? That I'm in for. If it's going to be Ambrose, I'm out on it. I give this a zero because I think that I am very down right now, Brian Campbell, on Dean Ambrose. I couldn't give this a bigger hero. You're not just reaching toward the, the, the potential nostalgic pop, and I know the shield has only been a few years removed, but there's already, because it was so good, because they ended it before it had run its course, anytime they tease this, there's a nostalgic pop waiting to happen. But they didn't just nostalgic pop tease you and forget about the differences between them, and that's why this works, because I want to see this go the distance where after getting each other's back as many times as they did in this episode, they sort of end up having to be together because they have mutual enemies. Sometimes that brings people together. I want to see it go as far as them competing for the tag title and either winning it before SummerSlam or winning it at SummerSlam against Sheamus and Cesaro. But obviously, there being enough distrust between them that it leads to a borderline mega powers explode situation but the end game is not Seth Rollins showing his his black spade card again and being an absolute jerk it's this leading to the Ambrose heel turn which is the end game for his character becoming money and really fulfilling itself they tried their best with him as a poor man Steve Austin let's not forget he had the title I believe what was it in, in the in the spring of 2016 right heading through money in the bank in that stretch they tried their best with him it just didn't work at the highest level. Him as a despicable heel that you're going to cheer against will lead to him getting the cheers from the people like Nick who don't like him because he'll be badass. It'll finally work. He's not pretending to be badass like he's doing. When he's a baby eight-faced version of a lunatic, he's pretending to be a badass. When he's a heel, he will be a badass. This will get us there, and the ride to get there will be nostalgic, and at some point, Roman will be involved and he'll sniff it, and I will be fired up. 
before we get the Silver Kings ruling here, one thing I want to note on Rollins here, Brian, get your take on it if you have anything to say on it. I really like now that Rollins is in his full-blown babyface mode, right? And he's come out and sort of apologized to the WWE Universe already for all the dastardly things he did when he was you know, under the mind control of Triple H and Stephanie with the authority. I like that Ambrose basically said to him, after everything you've done, stabbing me in the back and stabbing Roman in the back with the shield and everything since then, you expect me to just buddy up with you? And Ambrose walked away and Seth was kind of standing there like, he's kind of right, you know? Like, And I like that long-term payoff of that storyline. And if Seth is really going to be this full-blown babyface, at some point he's going to have to face the music storyline-wise for all that dastardly stuff that he did as a heel with the authority. So I did like that aspect of this. And with that said, Silver King, who won the first point of Hero and Zero? BC, you almost had me with the Ambrose heel turn, and hopefully that is what does happen if they link up. But he is a disaster right now, and this point goes to Nick. Yes. Moving oh, well, on. Oh, here's the, it, what, the debate wasn't, is he a disaster? The debate was Rollins and Ambrose. Okay, I have one thing to say here. We are moving on to point number two, and I will gladly take the victory there, Brian Campbell. <laughs> Nick Custos leads one nothing. Go ahead, Silver. All right, AJ Styles on Friday to everyone's surprise. Won the United States title off Kevin Owens, off of television, at a house show at the World's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. I have a two-parter here, guys, on the unexpected off-TV title change and Styles being the U.S. champion. So I'm, you got a chance for two points. BC, hero or zero for the off-TV title change and Styles holding the belt. He's only a hero for two small things. One, that they did it off TV because it's a nostalgic pop, right? Obviously, for for everyone of your generation, it reminds them of Diesel and, and Bob Backlund at the Garden. It reminds me of Tito Santana getting jobbed by Randy Savage in, in February of 86 at the Boston Garden. That part was great. The Madison Square Garden connection is great because let's not forget, that was WWE when they were WWF and WWWF's home turf. That's where they did big business. When they make MSG feel big again, I always pop and I still always say, no matter how much it costs, bring a pay-per-view back there because it still matters. That arena matters. Everything else here is a zero. Do you want to know why? Because you absolutely completed the burial of Kevin Owens for no reason. You already had him jobbing out to Shinsuke in consecutive weeks. Then he wasn't even doing anything with AJ, who he's supposed to be feuding with. Now the belt's off him. I know they're running it back at Battleground. They ran a, a little promo for that before a commercial on SmackDown Live. One other thing of why this is a zero is they didn't do anything with it this week. No, I did not pop with the end game tag team match where Styles and Cena are teaming up, and then in the end they shake hands, they respect each other. We already had that spot on SmackDown. It's it's already happened. You know what this was? It was another ratings grab with Cena. It was just using his name like they did the week before. Only this time they teased you to open SmackDown with a great promo and a tease that we were going in that direction. We didn't go in that direction, so it's a fail. It's a zero. Stop toying me with ratings grabs this week it showed you why raw was so much better yes smackdown is usually more consistent but it wasn't this week and it failed it straight up failed Okay, I agree with both things that Brian said, but I have disagreements as to the reasons why. Of course, the the off-TV title change at MSG is a hero. It's awesome. We don't need to go into the reasons why. I'm going to give a zero to Styles as U.S. champion as well, but I'm going to have different reasons why. And I disagree with the Kevin Owens point. I don't think he's been buried. And Brian, I know you're not insinuating that like he can't come back from this because obviously he can. I don't think Owens necessarily needs to win all the time. Would I like to see him stop jobbing as frequently? Yes, but Kevin Owens is going to be just fine. And I do think, Bri, that they caught you in a markout moment and you got annoyed with them because they swerved you the beginning of SmackDown. Because I'll be honest, I'm watching this, come right? Cena comes out. They're about to start the match. And in my head, I'm thinking, 
when is Kevin Owens' music going to hit? Because I felt like that was going to happen. And when Owens' music hit, I actually started laughing because I'm thinking, wow. I thought it was going to hit as they were still talking, but they did the whole ring introduction. The referee holds the belt up. They milked that until the last possible moment. So they swerved uh, the audience, BZ. They swerved you, I think, buddy. So I like that part uh, of it. But the predictable. Your reward was the predict. Of course they're going to team up in the end. Of course they're going to win and shake hands and we respect each other. We know they're not doing business together. We know that not it's yet. probably going to be going to be Styles and Nakamura, which, by the way, that makes him winning the U.S. title a hero. But this doesn't all connect. The dots don't connect. They, it wasn't I got marked out. It was that they failed. They took the easy way out. And, and, and last on Styles being the U.S. champion, I don't love it. And it's not because I don't love AJ Styles. AJ Styles should be in the world title picture. And I know like there are parallels with Kenny Omega being the NJWP uh, United States champion, the inaugural one, and now AJ's got the United States championship in WWE. AJ's too damn good. Like, I know he's trying to sell it. Like, every time I defend this belt, it's going to be a big deal. But AJ's too good. AJ should be in the world title picture. That's why I give AJ as U.S. champion a zero. I'm splitting the points. I told you it was a two-parter, one each. But I got to tell you, I disagree with both of you. AJ's U.S. champ's great because the WWE title's meaningless right now. Guys, for the second time. We're Tri- going to let you slide on that silver cane because we're both in a good mood right now. Because I actually like what Jinder Mahal's been doing. But go ahead here. For the second time, Triple H has tweeted out an offer to Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather to make an additional stop on their press tour. Where? At Monday Night Raw. Would you want to see this happen? Hero or zero, Nick? Uh, Triple H, bro. It's kind of pathetic, right? Like, this is when, like, people are on Twitter, like, asking for interviews, autographs, stuff like this. Like, enough, buddy. Like, he's, like, he's like whoring himself and the product out there. Like, please come to us because our ratings aren't good. Like, we saw this with LeVar Ball, however many weeks ago that was, and I didn't think it was a total train wreck. But, like, you're selling out to do that. And I know that McGregor would be entertaining. By the way, McGregor drops F-bombs more frequently than I do. You're going to put him on a live mic? That's going to be a disaster. Floyd Mayweather, the domestic abuse and all that garbage. You're going to put him front and center on a PG product? It's a horrendous idea. Would I like to see it in an ideal world? Sure, but we don't live in an ideal world. We live in reality, and something like this can happen, it won't happen, and it shouldn't happen. I give the idea a big fat zero. Take that, Triple H. I give Triple H's handling in this tweet a hero because they caught Conor McGregor's mic in the first press stop against Floyd Mayweather right when it was getting good. And some people think they cut it because he said a borderline racist comment when he was like, dance for me, boy. He went a little too far. But they cut his mic. They took the power away from him. And then Triple H comes out with a with a tweet that essentially says, you know, we got plenty of open mics here on Raw. Look, smart tweet. It would never happen, though, because this is a serious fight that's already being criticized for being a carnival and a joke. And going on WWE... You'd be really exposing yourself as a double, triple carnival joke. It wouldn't happen, but WWE has always stood by Floyd, though. Even during the bad domestic violence uh, situations, we've seen Triple H in his corner walking him into the ring before in the years that followed WrestleMania 24. So, you know, hero on the attempt is just never going to happen. Man, Nick, he knows, Nick knows this better than anyone. You ask once, fine. You ask twice without an answer in between, you look pathetic. Point for Nick Costas. Yeah, I'm loving Silver King judging this here, Brian. I'm three, loving this. Three, two, one. Hopefully, Moving like on. the Golden State Warriors, I will not blow the 3-1 lead. Moving on here. SmackDown has not had a legit challenger to Naomi's Women's Championship since that very brief stint where Charlotte demanded a shot. And we're going to have another pay-per-view without a legitimate challenger for Naomi because there is a fatal five-way booked for Battleground. It's an elimination match. Hero or zero, BC, on the what they're doing with the women's division and having this match at Battleground. 
Dude, this is an absolute zero. You hear me ripping the welcoming committee every week. You hear me ripping that there's no direction for the women's division in general, that it's just an absolute joke. I mean, Lana got three consecutive unearned title chances. It wasn't just we're going to pop it once on a pay-per-view. Nobody knows if she's good. She's going to come out in a revealing outfit. We're going to have our one time, and she's going to go back to being in Rusev's quarter. No, she's going to get three title shots, and she didn't deserve any of them. And she loses the third one in two seconds. But, oh, no, we're going to throw her back into this fatal five-way. Massive zero there, but it's an even double zero on the sense that we just had two women's money in the bank multi-women matches. Two that you got all hyped up to see that there was going to be a prize at the end. Well, Carmella won the prize, only she's not doing it with anything with it. And I'm not saying she has to cash in now, but now we have a separate five-way, another additional five-way women's match where the prize is just a title shot. Look, we know the belt's going to end up on Charlotte's waist. Just admit that that's where you're going. Don't waste time with this. Does Naomi have an injury that we don't know about? I don't know much about the women's female cycle. She have to sit out for a while. I know in gym class when I was growing up, sometimes <laughs> girls can get a pass from swimming one day because of things that I don't know about. That's fine. Is something going on here? I don't like Naomi as a champion to begin with. I don't think she ever deserved it or did enough at the elite level at that point when they put it on her twice. But this has been a botched debacle title reign. I don't know why I care this much because I don't. I'm fired up, but they blew it, all right? You, congratulations, WWE. You played yourself again. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the loss on this one right now because Brian Campbell knocked it out of the park. Uh, I am now down three games to two. Silver King, let's take it to game five. You're right. You had no chance there. All right, guys, Global Force Wrestling, formerly TNA, formerly Impact Wrestling, has now suspended champion Alberto Del Rio. What's his name over there, BC? Alberto El Patron, right? Uh, That's right. Alberto El Patron indefinitely for his alleged role in a domestic violence incident with Paige at the Orlando airport. Also following up that, Paige's brother posted on Facebook that his sister has been beaten by him and is in danger. You know, obviously not a really good situation. Give me a hero or zero here on just this relationship and what it's doing for these competitors, or is it just none of our business? This one's going to Nick. Um, I think it is our business because they're in the public eye. And I think it's worth noting here that Paige's brother was sort of vague with a lot of the stuff that he put out there. He, he alluded to potential abuse as it regarded to her time in WWE, and I think Brad Maddox was probably the person that he was calling out, um, alleged emotional and perhaps physical abuse with Paige. Now, we don't right. know exactly what happened at this airport because Paige came out and said it was in reference to a, another woman involved trying to take pictures while the two of them were, were dealing with a potential family situation. But I think one thing's pretty clear here. This dude, Alberto Del Rio, is constantly trying to put his masculinity out there. I'm going to beat you up. I'm the superior athlete. I don't think this is a good dude. I've never met him. I don't know him. So I'm not trying to say that he is or he isn't for sure. The gist that I get is that this is not a good human being here. And I will always, always side with the woman in something like this. An innocent woman like Paige who grew up in the business, who's involved now with the guy who I would not want her involved with if I were one of her relatives. I think this is a really sad situation. And I think that it is our business as members of the wrestling media, right, members of the accredited sports media, to talk about this because if her family's putting this on blast and Del Rio keeps getting in trouble, Bri, I think clearly where there's smoke, there has to be fire. I want this relationship to end. I have nothing against you know, th- them getting together if it's going to be good. I don't, I, I don't care what they do in their spare time. But if this is going to be bad for Paige as a woman, then this is not something that I want to keep hearing about. 
you, you said it right. This is obvious. This relationship has been horrible for her career. First of all, she's still under contract with WWE. She's been supposedly injured, right? Like recovering from the neck injury, but it's really badly hurt her career that she's going everywhere with Alberto to different independents to, to TNA Global Force all the time. She's not going on the road toward recovery and getting back with WWE. That's one thing. Number two, Nick, she said all that stuff on Twitter, like leave us alone. It was somebody else. Well, TMZ linked audio of the incident at the airport that, that a fellow traveler had recorded, and it's uh, Alberto and her yelling, having a one-on-one domestic situation, her saying, I've been tr- I'm trying to get away from you like I've been trying to get away from forever. So there's obviously a problem God here. God almighty. I mean, I'm, I mean, this has been a crazy week for me, quite candidly. I missed that part of it. I mean, this is, Bride, this is like a scary situation for this woman right now. Deeper, though, guys, do you remember that incident earlier this year in 2017 where there was a stabbing in Del Rio near his restaurant in San Antonio? He came out with cuts on his mm-hmm. arms and yep. by, on the back of his head. He missed the plane to a giant wrestling match in Mexico for their top promotion blew, on their biggest event of the year, totally destroyed them. Then I interviewed him shortly after that for a separate story, and he basically said, look, it was a, you know somebody uh, attacked Paige. I stepped in. It was an entirely sketchy situation because wrestling journalists contacted local authorities. There was no record that he ever went to the police this guy has bad guy written all over it to the point that right before he was released i started making those public claims like why is wwe not doing any every week why are they not doing anything with this guy he'll connect with the hispanic market you can put the title on him he's a great heel he's in great shape he's perfect in the ring in his late 30s he's really holding it together and i was right he was putting forth great work when they gave him the ball but I always had an asterisk. I said, well, maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe WWE knows they can't trust him. Maybe they know he's a bad guy. It's turning out to be true. It is none of our business, but there's enough smoke to realize there's actual fire behind the scenes. It's not my business to jump in and remove her from this relationship. It's her family and the WWE maybe's business as her employer, but somebody's got to do something that's going in the wrong direction. Let's not forget one thing here. GFW decided to put the heavyweight championship, the biggest title the company has, on this guy recently, like just before this happened. So all of this is going down after the fact that he's been elevated with this company, and they put him on that in light of everything that he's been going through over the last few years. All right, moving on here in Hero Zero. For three weeks now, we've seen an escalation between the Canellises, Canellisi, Canellisi, whatever, and Sami Zayn. Is this working for you as a first feud for the former Mike Bennett, BC Hero Zero? I thought the way that this specific episode handled was was a slight hero. I liked, you know, Mike standing up to Sammy, knocking the, the flower vase over his head. They dropped their power of love sound bites. I thought, you know, it was really a slight zero overall. They've done enough building toward this of Sammy constantly getting in the way. And as, as a heel, though, he's annoying, right? So he does sort of, if you, if you get the wrong rub from him, get you to kind of cheer against him. So that's working. My question is, though, they gave Mike Bennett Canellis' name. Canellis is the biggest star for WWE's purposes. They're now building a Mike Bennett feud. It's going to be interesting to see which of those two, husband or wife, gets a bigger push in the ring. Because when Maria Canellis comes back and she did great work with TNA in New Japan, not good work, great work. I thought she was top notch on TNA in 2016. I would like to see her get right away and fix some of these problems that we have in the Raw and SmackDown women's divisions, only she's sort of managing her husband. And by the way, I got nothing against Mike Bennett. I, th- I think he's a quality hand. I really like him. But it's interesting that he's sort of getting the push now. Uh, I don't like the fact that Sami Zayn is sort of... I just think Sami Zayn's really good, and I'd like to see him involved in bigger things, and I think we've talked about that before. But I think as far as this first feud for the Bennetts or the Canellis I, the Canellis I'm okay with it. And I'll tell you why. 
I think Maria is excellent. And I thought that she was great on SmackDown Live this week. Um, banging on the door to the dressing room. Gable comes out. She's sort of domineering over Gable because she's tall. And by the way, she very, very sexy. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, of Maria. And I like Mike Bennett as well because he has that smarmy smile. And he's got a very smarmy haircut. And while they're doing the lovey-dovey deal, he went from zero to 100 real quick. Real effing quick when he hit uh, Sami Zayn with the uh, the flower vase. So I thought that was pretty cool. So you've got the juxtaposition of these two over-the-top lovers being all lovey-dovey that at the drop of a hat all of a sudden become incredibly violent. And when these two do have their first match, Bri, it's going to be really good. Why? Because Sami Zayn's involved, and Sami Zayn is going to make Mike Bennett look like a million bucks. I'm going to give this a little more than a slight hero. Not a full hero, but a half hero from yours truly. We're going with Nick here, and he has a 4-2 lead going into the final question. BC, you need a two-point. Just you know, a tie. It's, it's me, right? Because I think I did steal Nick's uh, angle line without even realizing oh, yeah, it. yeah, and that's not the first time that's happened. So let, let's wow, move on. Wow, Silver King taking shots at you, Brian. You going to let that slide? <laughs> Hey, the name's still on the marquee for now. Right? <laughs> and he is the man whose name is on the marquee. Silver King, Game 7. All right, here we go. It's been two weeks now that the Miztrosh has been built out as a little bit of a faction. They first made a major impact on Raw this week. We saw them a little bit before, but they were involved in Monday Night Raw this week. Are you buying into this new mini faction that we have going here, Nick? Um, no, I'm not, um, because I'm so tired of the Ms. Dean Ambrose storyline. And if it's going to be continued, like, I, I'm literally, I might just start DVRing Raw for the sole purpose of fast-forwarding past this. Now, I like the Miz individually. I like Curtis Axel individually. And I like Bo Dallas individually. But when you put the three together and you add in a splash of Dean Ambrose, what do I want to do? Change the channel and watch my boys El Gary, Gary Sanchez, and Aaron Judge hit home runs at the Home Run Derby, and that's what I did on Monday night when I saw these guys on the screen. A big fat zero for me for the Miztourage, Brian Campbell. All right. Uh, he may, uh, it's hard to top you because you're so right about the Ambrose situation. When they showed you that they're continuing that, and I know there were more wrinkles to it this week, but when they were continuing, it's like, really, like, come on, WWE, just get it together. But it's a hero what they are doing right now, and it's a main hero because I love when they pluck Gilbert's out of, out of you know, the depths of where they're going nowhere, and they use them. I loved J&J security a lot, and I know those guys were at the end of their career. They were road agents, whatever, but I love when they do stuff like this, and they have cleaned up Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas in really humorous and strong ways. And the fact that the Miz is playing into the real life storyline every time he talks saying, this is this WWE. Look, if you just give people a chance, this is what will happen. I took these guys from, you know, being in the social outcast and, and getting pinned by everybody to this. It's like they're playing up a real life storyline. So, so far, it's been a hero because the Miz is the best chicken S heel that you got going on in, in the sport right now. He needs protection more than just his wife to do to fight his battles for him. So, it, so far, it's a, it's a giant hero. That last point definitely goes to BC. I said the lead was insurmountable, and it was. I think the really good thing is that these guys are what the Singh brothers should be. They're actually yep. making an impact, and they're able to talk on the mic where the Singh brothers are kind of worthless. You know, I, Silver King, I'll be honest, going into this segment, I thought you were worthless, but you proved your worth to me big time by rewarding me with yet another best of seven victory. So thank you, kind sir. And I think that that makes me up two to one, BC, in the best of seven series. Now I have two wins, and you only have one, good sir. But as you said, your name still on the marquee. Now, BC, I know you're excited because it's back, damn it. This week in NJPW. You excited to talk some Japanese wrestling, my friends? 
Elite. Oh, yeah, Nick. Let's do this uh, thing. Okay, now listen, before we get into some of the topics that I have written down on my impeccable rundown here, um, tell the audience here your markout moments this week for the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega YouTube show being the Elite. I was just not in tune that this that this show existed. I was not in tune to how hilarious it'd be, how there's just constant swearing, how it's like behind the scenes of the business, but at the same time developing storylines that actually carry o- hilarious storylines that actually carry over into the real NJPW product. Nick, we were blowing up each other's emails with constant clips and links, and I know there's a lot By of- By the way, can I, can I jump in here? Because I wasn't on last week's show, obviously, because I was on vacation. It is worth noting that during the G1 USA series, I don't remember what day this was because I was basically drunk for 10 days straight on my vacation. There was a night, Bri, where your, I think, wife and kids were out of the house and you were correct me if I'm wrong alone taking red wine to the face watching New Japan pro wrestling and firing off an email to me and the Silver King every couple minutes as you kept marking out that is I didn't dream that right in a drunken stupor that actually happened no, yeah, some weird guy who makes his wine in his own house. Normally, that can be a hit or miss scenario. He's like, oh, you like my wine? I got 18 bottles for you. Here you go. And it kind of tastes like water and soda mixed together. But, man, it was the perfect tonic for going deep on the NJPW and Chromecast and on my TV. And, uh, Nick, I'm just fired up. I'm just fired up. And I know there's half of our listeners are going, man, dude, I've been on NJPW for years. I've been listening, watching ROH. I know all these guys. What are you talking about, Campbell? Come to your lit to the party. And there's half of our listeners who are going, man, maybe these guys are onto something. Maybe I should be watching it. But either way. We're all coming together and consummating because this is the best thing going in wrestling right now. And the fact that these guys are allowed this freedom, Nick, these guys, I mean, the Jackson brothers, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, sometimes they bring in Adam Cole until they killed him in the being in the yeah. being the elite series. But this as the backdrop to how good the wrestling is, this total package, Lex Luger, if you will, I'm popping, I'm popping full mast. I'm fired up right now. Yeah, consummating makes me horny and so does New Japan Pro Wrestling. And listen, to the half of the audience that has been watching New Japan and Ring of Honor for so long listen you were ahead of the curve and we don't have to get into my personal backstory here on like the other stuff that I do for CBS all I'll say is now that I'm into all of the other stuff that's going on not just WWE I am absolutely thrilled I absolutely love it and to the half that are listening to this and are saying wow I might be on the fence here should I take the plunge and watch some New Japan Pro Wrestling the answer is a resounding yes I would have said yes in Japanese I don't know that much Japanese so I can't do that but yes you should do it so a bunch of things for us to get into here in this segment, Brian. I want to start off here. It's a bonus DM here, so this will not make, it didn't make our DM segment here, but I'm going to work it in here. This comes courtesy of Asad Weaver, huge fan of the program. We appreciate you, Asad. Mr. Weaver, 83 on Twitter, and he calls me out, BC. He says that I recently said blasphemy when I stated that Kenny Omega is better than AJ Styles. Now, I want to give you first word here before I defend my good name. Nick, I think you're right right now. Yes. And it's obviously close, but Kenny Omega is doing the best work in the world. And the difference, if you whether you like one guy, AJ, or Kenny's work in the ring better than the other, and that's a fair debate, but the difference is Kenny is allowed carte blanche to be everything he wants to be in NJPW. And if you listen to his interviews... The reason he didn't go to WWE in January when he had the chance is he's trying to change the business. He comes into this like he's Kurt Cobain, like he's taking sort of like they say, you know, Kurt Cobain for being such a 
game of Trailblazer, his songs are very melodic like the Beatles, right? Like Kenny Omega is taking the structure and framework of what we like about wrestling, but he's trying to do something different and start a revolution and start a new generation and be the forefront of it. He's allowed to try things and be something that AJ isn't. And while you have to commend WWE for letting AJ be as close to who AJ really is in a way that they don't let other superstars, particularly superstars that they take from other organizations, yep. Kenny is just at a higher level right now, Nick. Okay, so like you said, you can have the debate who's better in ring, Omega or Styles. For me, I like Kenny Omega better, but then again, I will fully admit I have a heterosexual man crush on Kenny Omega. He's probably my favorite male on the planet right now. That includes friends and family members, and that is the absolute truth. I'm obsessed with Kenny Omega. Now, where Omega is better than Styles, and I don't think it's comparable here, is on the mic. Now, Styles is pretty good on the microphone. Kenny Omega is great on the microphone and to me it's not even close Kenny Omega is the best performer in the world today not in New Japan not in America in the whole damn world in the Milky Way galaxy Kenny Omega number one right now and Bri I can't wait speaking of Kenny Omega the G1 tournament is getting underway this Monday. I'm going to quickly set the scene here. We've done it a couple times, but for those of you who don't know what this is, New Japan runs this tournament about a month long over the summer. Two brackets, 10 wrestlers each. The winners of each bracket face each other in the finals, and the winner gets a world championship shot at Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome. So it's essentially the Royal Rumble gimmick, except instead of a one-night battle royal, it is a month-long tournament. And we are going to get Omega Okada 3 in the finals of the B block on August 12th. And the likely story there is going to be the winner of that match wins the B block and moves on to the finals of G1. As I'm saying this, I mean, you want to talk about full mass, buddy? I, I might have to cross my legs here because I'm getting so excited. <laughs> and, you know, the winner of this G1, of course, gets that what? Gets that title shot at, at their version of WrestleMania and the main event at Wrestle Kingdom in January? That is correct. This is incredible. Now, we're not guaranteed to see this matchup, right? No, we are guaranteed. We we are 100% getting Omega Okada 3 on August 12th, 30-minute time limit in that okay. match. So it's not going to be it's not going to be the 60-minute Broadway or the 50-minute match that we saw um, at Wrestle Kingdom um, earlier this year in January. 30-minute time limit, last match in the B block, August right. 12th. Because it's a round robin, not a bracket, right? Uh, no, I believe it's a bracket. So e you've, each guy wrestles nine matches, I believe. You look at this at the two blocks. I mean, there's some incredible names here that we've seen in NJPW that we've seen outside of it. I think what's really important here is Kota Ibushi coming back to NJPW. He had been floating around, but this guy is five-star match potential at any time. You saw him in the Cruiserweight Classic. Go back and watch his matches with Kenny Omega. Absolutely incredible. Nick, to do three of these Okada Omegas in eight months is absolutely incredible. This will... It's blasphemy, but this will probably surpass the love affair that people my age have with Flair Steamboat's trilogy in 89 because it's just taking something that was great and taking it to a higher level of art. Nick, when I was getting uh when I was going deep on that red wine that night and I, you know, I had the, the wife away and I was just Chromecasting NJPW to my screen. I would ask I, you, by the way, how deep you went, but I'm scared of the answer that you'll give me, so just go on what I was wearing at the time. I will tell you the rewatching one and two again, again with, with separate eyes again. I want to say this before we talk about the third one. I think the first match is better. Mm. I think it's the best match in pro wrestling history. Wow. I don't agree going to the six star level. If you're going to use Meltzer's five star system, 
probably played himself to a degree. Probably should have been five and a quarter stars with the rematch being five stars, but that's just my take. But that it's it's really the first two matches are so different from each other that it really comes down to what you want, right? Like the storytelling in the second one was incredible. It was almost like listening to an incredible jam band, like Trey Anastasio of Fish or the Grateful Dead, just taking a tune and constantly teasing like you're going back into the chorus, right? But you're jamming it and you're just leading you along. But that first one was just like set apart explosions and yes the lead-in and the builds to each explosive spot were incredible and maybe i'm just a guy that pops for spots a little bit more than fine storytelling although i love it all together tied together but that first one is it's perfection it's incredible it may have the best spot in the history of wrestling when omega springboarded a moonsault moonsault over the barricade is is freaking ridiculous sick and then to see him lose a match in which he now, look, Okada's incredible, and Okada had to be that incredible. And Kenny Omega will tell him yourself in an interview, Okada had to be that incredible for that first match to be that good. But with that said, Omega outshined Okada to a small degree, and he didn't win the match. And the fact that Kenny uses that in his NJPW promos, you sent me an incredible one the other day, where Kenny's talking like removing the fourth wall. He's like, I'm the guy doing the five-star matches. I'm the guy who outperformed Okada in the first one. I'm the guy who should have been booked as the winner. That's incredible that they speak like that in a promo, and I think the first one's a little bit better. I, what do you guys think? I think that um, I tend to agree with you because it's more of a, a spot fest. It's not a spot fest, but it's more of a spot fest. But I will offer this caveat. I knew the winners and how and how each match ended before I watched it. So I think that if going into the second match, let's say you watched it live at 5 in the morning, wherever it aired in the United States, not knowing that it was a 60-minute draw, you probably would have enjoyed the second one more because it was a full 60 minutes and the story was absolutely insane. But given the fact that we knew the results going in, I have to agree with you that I enjoyed the first one just a smidge more. Silver King, Omega Okada, one or two? So here's the thing. I agree exactly with what you said, except I didn't know the results. I watched them blind, so I'm seeing them for the first time. Number one, you didn't know. No, I didn't know. I'm very I jealous. I didn't want to. Yeah. So when you guys said you have to watch these, I'm like, I'm not reading a single thing. Good job. I'm just you. watching it. So I watched the first one, and I think this, it being a spot fest to Brian's point is a big part of it, but it's also I had never seen them fight before, so it's the first time, and the first time is often the best time. So that's why I love that so much. Ah. And continuing that, you know, little analogy there, the second one, sixty minute, I got blue balls. I got nothing. I thought we were going to get a story about the silver about the silver king's virginity no, there. Now I, I, I don't know if it gave you nothing. No, 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 king, no. But no. you like the first one. My better point is, is my my point being, it built me all the way up. I couldn't wait to see how it ended, and then it ended in a, in a draw. Not that that's bad because it told a great story, but I like having a definitive finish. I like the spot fest probably too, like Brian said, and it was the first time I had ever seen anything like it. I do agree that it's better and should be rated higher as well. So for me. It's one over two, but, I mean, we're splitting hairs. They're both great. So, again, yeah, go ahead, the Brian. Fact the rematch, Nick, like you mentioned, the fact that a sequel is, is rarely ever better, right? You know, like the they always say the Godfather Part Two is the only time it maybe ever happened. To make the sequel when you didn't know it was going to end in a Broadway and to make it that great, you give them the props. But, Nick, how do they make the third one both different and better. That's where you want to really find out their genius and how they book this and how they perform it. I don't know how they'll do it. Well, I, th- I think the larger question is, is not just how are they going to make the third one better and <laughs> differentiate it. It's how are they going to make the inevitable fourth one better and differentiate that one. I have more confidence, though, in Kenny Omega to get this done than I do 
any professional wrestler in the world today, and I think they are absolutely going to nail it. Now, I want to wrap up our conversation this week on New Japan Pro Wrestling with a very interesting question. I think it's interesting, at least, and I think, listener, you will as well. And it's very simple. Brian Campbell, do you want to see Kenny Omega come to WWE? Yes or no? And tell us why. Not anytime soon because I've gone and really down the rabbit hole of listening to every available interview he's given. And it's really refreshing to see him look at this from an artist's point of view. And there are obviously other wrestlers who treat it as an art form uh, without question. He seems to be at a different level in what he looks to want to accomplish and how he actually breaks down. I mean, what makes him great in the ring, right? Is how his sequences between moves have so much attention to detail where other people throw it away, right? His selling, incredible. I want him to be there after he either accomplishes what he's trying to accomplish in NJPW, which is carry that company to a legitimate competition point, do something that no one's ever done in wrestling before, be the face of something. I want to him to finish that first. I mean, maybe it's comparative to AJ going to the WWE on the verge of turning 40. Maybe, you know, where are we? Where, how old is Kenny Omega? Ken- Kenny Omega turns 34, I believe, later this year. He's 33. I mean, I maybe- know that because I'm obsessed with him and we were both born in 1983 and it kind of turns me on. <laughs> he follows the Styles plan. Maybe in six and a half years, he does get oh, to that point. That, Eventually, I obviously, I want to see him in WWE, but what I don't want to see, Nick, is him watered down for the same reasons that okay. I didn't like the way that Shinsuke was commercialized coming from NXT to the main roster. I don't want to see anything. And I know you can say your argument could be, and I referenced this earlier, was go watch NJPW AJ Styles from the markings on his pants to the logos to everything. He kind of looks like WWE AJ Styles. Yeah, he does. But there's still a McDonald's commercialization there when you go to the big time. I want raw Kenny Omega. I want, I'm want. i trying to take over the world Kenny Omega. When he's older and he can't perform at this level, he can cash in and come to WWE and do a series of matches with old Seth Rollins. And it's probably going to be a beautiful and incredible. But for now, I want to see this guy change the world, Nick. Uh, listen, buddy. I mean, I didn't know. We, we I knew that we were going to have this discussion. I didn't know what your answer was going to be. You pretty much took the words out of my mouth. Do I want to see Kenny Omega in WWE? Of course I do. But the fear is is that you put him in NXT. And Kenny Omega should be nowhere near NXT if and when he comes to WWE. He gets the AJ Styles treatment. And in order for Kenny Omega to succeed, you give him the mic and you send him out to the ring and say, you know what, kid? Do your thing. We're not going to write for you. We're not going to give you the artist known as Kenny Omega. Any crappy gimmicks. Let Kenny Omega do his thing. I don't have confidence right now that WWE can or will do that. So for right now, I would like for Kenny Omega, and I would say this to Kenny Omega, and we may have at some point get the chance to talk to Kenny Omega, God willing, because he is my heterosexual man crush. Stay in New Japan Pro Wrestling and keep making art, you goddamn Picasso, you. (laughs) Keep doing it. And, And last note here on New Japan Pro Wrestling, in all seriousness now, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it and you're still on the fence, Don't do it for us, right? Don't do it because we're talking about it. If you're listening to this podcast, Bri, chances are the people, you really like professional wrestling. And you are doing yourself a disservice if you're not watching this because it's absolutely freaking awesome. Do yourself a favor and watch some New Japan. I promise you'll like it or damn it, you'll get your money back. And with that, let's slide into some DMs. Bri, unless you've got anything to wrap up with. 
flows. One thing that makes Kenny Omega so good in NJPW and why that system is so fun is he speaks fluent Japanese, but they don't let him do that because as a heel, yeah. they don't want him to speak Japanese to Japanese people. So everything he does, he does it in English. And that helps you, by the way, get into the product a little easier, but it also keeps him this badass. They also represent and protect kayfabe he's not allowed to travel with or be seen with any with any faces and that is fantastic yeah, and he always travels with the young bucks for the being the elite youtube show that we mentioned which you should check out as well there are a lot of free press for kenny omega and company but why do they get it because they're really really good and just one last note here and i promise this is the last one <laughs> i tweeted this i know it's I'm, I've, I've been really <laughs> bad here with this it's just the truth um I tweeted this the other night. Kenny Omega actually retweeted this. They, the New Japan Twitter account um, posted the full final from last year's G1, which Kenny Omega actually won. Um, he beats Goto in that match and afterwards cuts a promo where he's running down the crowd in English, stops, and then goes into Japanese, like the first time he's ever spoken Japanese to them to mark that occasion. Totally craps on the crowd in Japanese. And what did they do? Kenny, Kenny. So he craps on them in two languages, and they still mark out for him. Such is the greatness of one Tyson Smith, better known by his ring name of Kenny Omega. Brian, it's time to slide into the DMs. Tell the listeners how they can get involved each and every week. Hit me up at B Campbell CBS at Silverstein Adam at the Costos guys. DM season is open. It's time to swan dive right in. For the people, by the people is this show. Send us your questions, your comments, your critiques. Hey, if you got a problem with handsome Nick Costos, he, he'll stand up to you. I mean, he'll get right in your face. He'll defend it. Let's do this thing. Let's be a team. Let's consummate this relationship. Oh, we're about to consummate right now. And we're going to start off, speaking of Nick Costos defending himself, this comes courtesy of Brian Paulson at Paul's 68 He says, hey, guys, no mention in the instant analysis pod after great balls of fire of the best fake injury spot in years. Alexa Bliss's arm dangling like Sid's legs. Poor Sid Udy. That was a gruesome injury at Sin back in 2001 WCW pay-per-view. He goes, bad look, guys, and he blames me, handsome Nick Costos here, and says, as a Queens guy himself, you can't dub yourself as handsome. Well, Bri, the reason why you can't dub yourself as handsome is because you're probably ugly, and I'm very handsome, so I can get away with it. And the second thing is, we did mention the Alexa Bliss injury spot, and we called out the fact that she had done it already on SmackDown Live. So, Brian Paulson, not listening to the <laughs> podcast here, 0 for 2, Brian Campbell, for Brian Paulson. Yeah, I mean, come on, guy. You know, I mean, when when I, I see, I had a better question than Brian Paulson's. I had a question of Nick of you. You know, you love. I mean, you you love Alexa Bliss. Does that kind of turn you on that you could take parts of her body and just dis dislocate them? I don't think, honestly, buddy. Like, just in all seriousness, I don't think there's much that Alexa Bliss could do that would not you know do it for me in that regard. But seriously, uh, Brian Paulson, I went to your Twitter account to check it out. You're wearing a Yankees hat in your avatar picture, so you are. All good in my book, buddy. And uh, not a bad-looking guy yourself, but of course not as handsome as handsome Nick Costos. <laughs> so, so that is the absolute truth. Big cast, pretty handsome guy. I think I can admit that. I'm very comfortable in my heterosexuality. And Blake Molina, at Blake Mo checks in yet again. We love our guy, Blake Molina. Appreciate you, buddy. And he says, Bri, if WWE was truly behind Big Cast, surely they would give him a better song in Titantron video, right? There's no way that anyone likes Cass's package. Hashtag... Keep it PG. So a couple double entendres there from our guy Blake Molina here. We touched on this a little bit, Bri, on the instant analysis pod. Did you change your mind at all on the big cast presentation after Monday Night Raw? 
I love that we're talking about packages. We're talking about we touched on this. Blake Molina, you fit in well in this crew. There's no there's no question about it. Sexual no, well, deviants. Testing's <laughs> not working outside of some of the physicality that he showed. It's interesting what Blake says, and I kind of felt this along the way. Like, Cast coming out to like industrial metal music just doesn't work. Obviously, because he used to come out to a rap song, right? He's from New York. It just doesn't work. Does that actually mean they are not that committed to it? That this is going to be a short season? Like, you know, what was one of the greatest short seasons that ever happened. Why two AJ? That was. You can't find that T-shirt anywhere. It's only two years ago that it happened. You or a year and a half ago. You can't find that T-shirt anywhere. This might be a short season thing. And I don't know if they're as committed. They're committed to cast long-term as a potential star and a big man that makes Vinnie Mac pop. Yes, they are. But Blake may have a good point because I don't think the package is that impressive. His was bad on the mic. His new logo on his shorts kind of stinks. And the song is repulsive. I, I got nothing here. All right. The logo stinks. And it says Queens, New York on it. Like, you're a face if you're from Queens, New York. Everybody loves me, of course. I mean, I'm the most loved person in this office. Everybody lo- knows that. Or not. So I don't like what it, what the Queens, New York thing um, on the shorts. Um, I thought his promo was pretty good on Monday night. Uh, I didn't have any problem with it. Um, so, Brian, I disagree with you there. And I will say it again. I'm alone on the island. Apparently, I'm Tom Hanks and Castaway chilling with Wilson. But I like his theme music. I don't think it's as terrible as everyone thinks. I don't think it's any worse than Seth Rollins or Dean Ambrose. I said that on Sunday night. Now, Silver King, as is your want, you crapped all over his music um, on the Instant Analysis pod do you feel any differently about Big Cass after Raw? Uh, no. No. That's it. Silver King likes to keep it <laughs> short and sweet. All right. Next one comes courtesy. Love just like yes, just like his love life, I think, is what you were trying to say. Oh, short and sweet. Come on. He laid it up there, Silver King. I had to slam it home. Next coming up from JB at JBrax1122. We appreciate you, homie. This goes back to New Japan, and I think it is a legitimate criticism. JB says, just watch New Japan for the first time and says, is it me or do they do a lot of no-selling to him? It's killed all the hype about New Japan maybe being better than WWE and maybe people taking WWE for granted. So let's ignore that larger point here of New Japan versus WWE and focus on the no-sell because we do see that a little bit in these matches. That bother you, BC? No, I actually have the opposite reaction. I get what he's saying, but I think New Japan does a better job at selling when it matters. I think Kenny Omega selling is incredible. The timing, he sells his own moves on other people that hurt more than the guy he's performing the move on selling it. They have some brilliant guys. I think they do sell because they present it as a real shoot fight a lot of times, and that's part of the reason why NJPW feels raw. And I think on WWE in general, Selling is a ma- not sound like Jim Ross, but he does have a point. Selling is a major problem. The fact that we drop five finishers per match on Raw when in matches that don't matter and people are kicking out of finishers, that's a big problem. Yes, on NJPW in these epic matches, do we get a lot of finishers and do a lot of these moves get strung together? But I see people taking devastating moves and selling it to a devastating fashion. I don't think it sticks out to me. Uh, it sticks out to me a little bit, right? So you'll see, uh, you'll have a sequence, right, where let's say it's Kenny Omega versus Ishii. And let's just, I'm making this up right now. And Omega's working on Ishii's neck for three minutes, and all of a sudden Ishii pops up and does like three lariats in a row and then falls down to start selling it, and the crowd starts clapping. At that point, it's a little unrealistic. Here's the thing it's pro freaking wrestling. It's fake. JB, I'm not talking down to you when I say this because it's subjective. I'm not telling you how to like something or how you should view it. But my advice to you would be this. Don't get caught up in the minutia, right? Enjoy it for what it is. And what it is, by and large, 
is a hugely entertaining product. And for the most part, like there will be those little instances, but Brian's 100% right. The selling as a whole in New Japan is better than it is in WWE, and they spend more time and attention to detail. You see something almost in each and every match, at least every singles match, not like maybe like the eight-man crazy tag team matches, but I, I get the point, JB, but I don't think it's that big a deal. And if I'm you, buddy, I let it go and I move on because bottom line, the product's too damn good to get caught up in something as small an issue as that. Let's move on to Ronell Wilson at RonWill96. It's his first ever DM. We appreciate it, buddy. And BC, he's been a fan of yours for a long time. Of course he is. Why? Because you're the man whose name is on the marquee. Now, he spent some time bashing the women's division and asks us if we could book the women's division, how would we do it to get this back over? And he specifically mentions the SmackDown girls here, BC. So let's start there on SmackDown and then tell us what you would do on Monday Night Raw. I'm not going to give you a a, uh, a micro breakdown. I'm going to give you a macro breakdown. It's very simple, all right? The women's matches historically over the past three years on NXT have been incredible top shelf they've dare i say changed the business do you want to know why because triple h is on the book all you have to do to fix wwe's main roster women's problems besides giving more attention to detail than one feud at a time both shows combined is give the book of the women's side exclusively to triple h and get out of the way you will see physical matches that matter you will see booking in more than one feud at a time and not four on four matches every week and crappy Lazy. welcome to these stables i just spoke the truth quote the campbell nevermore i love that from scott levy aka the brian campbell silver king you got something here on how to fix the women's division ron and bc laid it out and i just want to expand on it WWE has to start by developing genuine contenders in both divisions. And what they're doing on SmackDown obviously isn't working. And they actually have to let them wrestle for the championship belts and not just make it, you know, this kind of run around the angle crap. Raw did that with Sasha. They actually built her up into a number one contender. She won a big match and then she got her opportunity. SmackDown had put in so much into the women's money in the bank match. And now the stupid fatal five way elimination match that you guys talked earlier that it's completely lacked outside of the short Charlotte feud again, Naomi hasn't really fought against anyone. The answer, just like BC said, is to book primary and secondary feuds, not a number one contender, and everyone else in the division fights a six-woman tag match. It doesn't work. This means giving other people besides the champions and that one contender opportunities. Nia Jax, Becky Lynch, they need to have clean fights not against each other, they're on different brands, but against other women that build them up just like any other wrestler for an intercontinental ch title or a WWE championship. They have to get over on their own as singles competitors, and they're not going to be able to do that when they're fighting in a three-woman tag team because, well... We, we need two women's matches on the show, and we already had a singles match. So, Ronell, I think we all agree with you here. The Silver King, myself, and the man whose name is on the marquee, Brian Campbell, we all agree that something needs to be done. We gave you some solutions. Hopefully, WWE is listening because there's too much talent on that women's roster for that product to be as lackluster as it's been. And let's close out the DM segment. This was my favorite one of the week, and Brian sent me the, all the DMs, and we, we sort of sifted through them and picked them um, to try and avoid doubling up topics in Hero or Zero and some of the other places on the show. This was my favorite one, and I'm really glad that it made the show. It comes courtesy of Lamont Falls. I don't know if that's your real name, but if it is, kudos to you, buddy. Lamont Falls, at Lamont Falls 330 on Twitter. And he asked Brian, what do you think 
was the hottest feud in wrestling history. And he adds his choice, and that would be Dusty Rhodes against Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen back in the NWA in the 1980s. What's your choice, BC? It's it's. I don't mean to make this more difficult than it is, but there's two different eras for this question. It's I think that eras that I'm talking about ended in the late 80s. Depending on where you lived, the era may have gone farther, and that's the era of when it's still real to me. Damn it. <laughs> In the pre-area when wrestling was still real that ended, like I mentioned, in the late 80s, these feuds were red hot like we do not understand these days. And making the Dusty Horseman reference is incredible because they broke Dusty's ankle, the Horseman did, and it was red hot. And when you came to the arena, people wanted blood because they either wanted to believe in it or straight up they believed in it. And when the Von Erich boys in Dallas, Texas at the Sportatorium were fighting the Freebirds, they wanted blood. There are many examples in the 80s specifically. You can even go to Bruno in the 70s and whatever when it was still real to everyone, damn it. There's a hundreds of examples. But in the post-real era, there's only one answer to this question, and that's Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon. Damn it, man. That's my answer, too. Same. Okay, so so we'll I'll just I'll just say this. It has to Bry, it has to be Austin versus McMahon because that feud single-handedly saved us like it's like if the germans had won world war ii we'd all be speaking german right now and if austin mcmahon never happened we'd all be watching wcw and quite frankly i'm not sure which would be worse because of because of a pole match right now you know (laughs) yeah jesus because of that we all agreed do you have an underrated feud because i have an underrated feud of all time all right silver king what do you got my under so my answer was austin mcmahon let's not joke around but one of the most underrated feuds of all time that never gets talked about doesn't get enough credit was Raven and Tommy Dreamer in ECW. It's a good one. It's they, a good choice. They legitimately feuded for three years. And there were so many twists and turns. It got personal. It was business. And I believe the last Yule match. Ewell McGillicuddy left, left Raven for right. Tommy Dreamer. And I believe the last match was Raven leaving ECW and Dreamer getting like his only win in that whole rivalry. So that's not. it's not an epic you know, feud. It's not Austin McMahon. It didn't save the business. But it was awesome and it no one ever really talks about it. all right so that just activated my feel spot a little bit and we'll get our feel spots for this week but when i was like 13 14 15 years old and i was a huge huge wrestling mark i would stay up until two o'clock in the morning and bc you're from the northeast also so maybe you'll be able to relate to this with me on the msg network they used to run ecw at that time like two or three a.m saturday night slash sunday morning and i used to stay up to watch it i absolutely loved it i had the sabu homicidal genocide suicidal shirt. I had the RVD 420 shirt before I had ever toked the good stuff. I had no idea what it meant. My dad saw me with it and goes, what the hell is that? I go, Rob Van Dam's the whole effing show. He goes, no, the 420. I just thought it was a fun play on numbers to the Boston 316. Of course, it's a pot-smoking reference, but I love ECW. Actually, Silver King, great call by you. Raven and Tommy Dreamer. BC, was that you like me staying up late to watch ECW? I hit ECW at the perfect time. I lived in the Northeast. That was right when I'm underage, going out in the woods and getting loaded every every Friday and Saturday, whatever, and then coming back home, not just in time for ECW, planning my nightlife around (laughs) coming home for ECW, being loaded to the gills on Natty Light Cans, and then just going sick in the basement, watching Sabu do a double (laughs) moonsault into the crowd and just going, what is going on here? I was, dude, the best, we don't have the time, but the best moment I ever had in wrestling was going to an ECW house show in New Britain, Connecticut, in a bar with a ceiling that was so low you couldn't even go off the top rope. I saw things to this day that I'll never forget. That hard 
hit New Britain, Connecticut, Brian Gowell. That is that that is some good stuff here. Now, again, I referenced the email that Brian sent with all the great DMs this week. So for guys like Jesse Linha and uh, and Frankie Camelot and some of the others that sent us DMs this week that we did not get to, keep sending them in. We can't take all of them every week because we do have limited time here. We can't go on for three hours on a podcast here, but we do appreciate them. We right. do see hey. them. So keep sending them in. And Brian, once again, tell them how they can get to us in this segment. Slide right in at B Campbell CBS at Silverstein Adam at the Costos. You've been doing a great job, guys. Step up your questions. Just bring it at hashtag in this corner on social media. And again, just to reiterate, if you like what you've been listening to on iTunes, give us a five-star rating because we are five-star performers. Leave that positive review. Every review, every rating helps us. Help us help you or vice versa. I'm kind of getting lost in my own words here, so I think it's time to move on to the feel spot portion of our show, which closes it out. Brian Campbell, what tickled the old fancy made the mast raise full for you this week in pro wrestling? Look, this was a surprise to me. I was not really down with the Cedric Alexander Noam Dar feud love triangle going around with Alicia Fox. It's had some fun moments. It's gone on far too long. I stumbled into watching 205 like past midnight on Tuesday night. Was going to go to sleep. Just with, like, but, but, just, but, was, was this red wine induced or you or no? On Tuesday no, night. Oh no, this was uh, this was canned beer induced, but that's that's <laughs> ir- irrelevant to this point. After midnight, you know, you got to let it all hang out, and I was, but I watched this and stumbled into a really good match, an I quit match, a true blow off match. The reason why I defend 205 Live and watch, try to watch it every week is it feels like the 80s to me because it's typically simplistic booking. This was simplistic and effective booking in an I quit match that was incredibly physical and had some. Some real moments of Noam Dar getting his fingers bent back, almost broken, to the point where Cedric Alexander trapped Noam, arms, Noam Dar's arm into the chair and gave him one last chance. It was like, just say quit. Here's your last chance. Just say it. Noam Dar wouldn't do it. And then Cedric stomped on that chair like a hundred times until Dar quit. It activated my field spot. It felt real. It was good. And then the bonus afterwards of Noam Dar breaking up with Alicia Fox, telling her he's been he's He's been using her all along. Look, it was cheesy, but it was great. I loved it. It hit me in the field spot. All right, so uh, Brian Campbell just referenced a break in that relationship. Adam Silverstein, you are not going break. You are going broken with your field spot. I am. We did not talk. That was a damn good segue, by the way. I mean, I'm a professional at this job. Silver (laughs) King, go ahead. Um, We did not talk on this podcast about the Hardy Boys beginning, continuing, whatever you want to call it, to break. Guys, there were it was a little bit almost too much of a ref. They kept referencing things that we know, but you know what? I'm looking past it because I'm so excited for them to get out of the tag team picture or at least get out of their team extreme gimmick and move into something that's different and unique and captivating, which we need so much of on Monday Night Raw. The Hardys are beginning to break. I'm falling for it. I'm loving it. Give me more. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it as well, and I would like to delete, delete, delete their current gimmick because, quite frankly, it's garbage. And you saw tweets from both Matt and Jeff Hardy after Raw sort of alluding to the obsolete and delete and delightful and all the buzzwords used by them in TNA when they were playing these awesome characters. So I think we may see that sooner rather than later. That did hit me in the field spot, but guys, what really hit me in the field spot, it was not something I watched. It was something that arrived to my apartment. <laughs> so you guys know that I have a Bullet Club shirt that I 
drove to Hot Topic to purchase. I felt like a 16-year-old girl walking into Hot Topic to get a Bullet Club shirt, but that is true. I did do that. I tweeted a picture. I watched it during G1 USA like a true mark. But the true crown jewel now, Brian, of my wrestling t-shirt collection, and I know that you are a wrestling t-shirt connoisseur. I feel like I now, sir, have the best one. It is my Kenny Omega goodbye and goodnight shirt, which features a gun, and a, and a trigger with the Omega symbol and a bunch of cool stuff written in the gun, like Bullet Club, G1 winner, One Winged Angel. I will tweet a picture out of it. I, I, I showed it to Silver King in person earlier I've this week. I've seen it. Bri, I sent you a picture of it. That hit me in the feel spot, and I can't wait to cut the sleeves off that bad boy <laughs> and show my guns off in the gym, Brian Campbell, while I'm wearing my Kenny Omega T-shirt. Is it better than the uh, CN Almas NXT He's 100 shirt I'm wearing right now? <laughs> yes, it probably is. I just want to know what size what size you get. I got it a medium. Of course I did. I mean, look, listen. listen he, here's the deal, listeners. I'm like five foot seven and a half. It says five foot eight on my driver's license, probably because the woman at the DMV was in a good mood. I'm five seven and a half. I'm not the biggest guy in the world. I feel like I'm pretty built, but I'm not the biggest guy in the world in terms of muscles either. So you're goddamn right. I'm gonna get a medium. Why? Because it shows off my pectorals and it shows off my arms <laughs> and it fits me perfectly. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. And while you're at it, at the Costos on Instagram like all my pictures because I have a Napoleon <laughs> complex and I'm extremely insecure about my physical appearance. And I think that's enough of that. And Brian, we should probably end the show at this point. And even though you did it at the beginning, because I love you and because your name is indeed on the marquee, tell the listeners again what else they have to look forward to this week on the In This Corner podcast. Great balls of fire. Instant analysis reaction show from Monday is ready for your listening Check out our boxing show with welterweight titleist Jeff Horn talking about the controversy of defeating Pacquiao, talking about the comments from Teddy Atlas and Stephen A. Smith, and he's talking about what next. We also break down the Mayweather-McGregor stop one of their press tour. You don't want to miss it. So for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am handsome Nick Costos. This has been the pro wrestling edition of In This Corner with the man himself, Brian Campbell. BC has got two words for the listeners until we see you next week. We out.